if you'll join me in Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1, we continue in our new series through Paul's letter to the Ephesians. This morning we will be looking at verse 3. And the title of our sermon is Every Spiritual Blessing. Uh, key words for the worshipers in training are spiritual, blessing, and heavenly. I think some key words went out earlier this week, and one of them is wrong. It's spiritual, blessing, and heavenly. Now, one of my favorite days each year is one we just had, and that is the American holiday of Thanksgiving. I hope everyone has fresh on their minds a sense of thankfulness, and we talked about this in Sunday school this morning, thankfulness for the blessings of life that come to us through the Lord who loves us, the Lord who takes care of us, the Lord who provides for us, for all that we need and all that we have. Now, certainly on one level, no matter who we are, We have a sense of gratitude for the people in our lives, uh, the people in this world who have had something to do with us and have uh, have blessed us in some way. And perhaps there there's thankfulness for what you have to include your relationships and your material possessions and the life that you have and live. However, true thankfulness of the greatest and fullest kind can only be expressed and experienced by a Christian. Just this last week, Dr. Albert Moeller wrote an article about this, and he he wrote this. Can one really be thankful without being thankful to someone? It makes no sense to express thankfulness to a purely naturalistic system. A proper Christian thanksgiving is a deeply theological act that requires an active mind as well as a thankful heart. We need to think deeply, widely, carefully, and faithfully about the countless reasons for our thankfulness to God. And I wonder, have we spent time this week thinking deeply, widely, carefully, and faithfully about the countless reasons for your thankfulness to God? If you are a Christian... Above all others in this world, you ought to have a profound thankfulness in your heart because you know what you have been brought from and brought into by the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, I don't believe it's overstating the case to suggest that for the Christian, thanksgiving ought to be one of the greatest characteristics of our lives. And that thanksgiving gets translated into praise and worship unto the Lord. And so often what happens in our lives as believers is we get busy in our lives and we forget about our high calling as the children of God. We forget what it means to be redeemed and born of the Spirit of God. We forget what it means to have been given all that is necessary for life and godliness in Jesus Christ. And so sometimes instead of thankfulness... Our lives can be marked by grumbling and complaining and discontentment. And any sense of joy and peace is elusive and faint. Now, last week we we looked at the opening two verses of Paul's circular letter to the churches 
in Ephesus. And as we continue our journey through this epistle this morning, we're going to be looking at verse 3. And it's here that we see the Apostle Paul reminding us in how he writes what it looks like for us to be a people who are thankful for all things that are ours. Because as Christians... We have a right understanding of who we are, a right understanding of who God is, a right understanding of what God has done if we understand our Bibles and what it says about us and what it says about God. Now, I want to say up front, we're going to be spending several weeks looking at verses 3 through 14. Interestingly, in the Greek, verses 3 through 14 are one long sentence of 120 words, I believe. And in the Greek, it's poor grammar to have a long run-on sentence, just as it is in English. However, as you read through it, you get a sense that the Apostle Paul is so caught up in praising God and giving thanks to God for who he is and what he has done that he wouldn't dare interrupt his praise and his thought with the end of a sentence. And while the English translates it with all the proper grammar, we have to think of that as we, as we look at these verses in the weeks ahead, that this is all being caught up in this praise to the Lord Jesus And it's in this chapter that we're going to see some of the greatest theological truths that we could ever find in all of Scripture. Theological truths that lay a solid foundation for the rest of our faith to be built upon. Faith, trusting in what God has done and what God will do as he fulfills his promises. And I assure you there are a few things in the world that can be read that are more beautiful than Ephesians chapter 1. So we're going to take our time through this chapter. I hope it gives us at least a small glimpse of the glory and beauty and majesty of God as the Apostle Paul understood it, that we too might live our lives filled with praise to God because our hearts are overflowing with thankfulness. So if you're using the Blue ESV Bible, you can find our text this morning on page 976. And we're going to be begin by reading this verse, and then we'll consider four implications from the text. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. The first thing for us to see this morning is that Christians praise God because of all that he is. Now, I want to set this in context for us. Remember, we looked last week at the first two verses. We saw Paul introducing himself as the apostle, writing the letter to the Ephesians, and he reminds them of who they are in Christ. Remember, he said that they are saints. They are the saints of God. And they are, they are faithful in Christ Jesus. And he said, all of this has come about. I am an apostle. You are saints. You are faithful in Christ by the will of God. It is a work of God that you are who you are in Christ. And then he, he turns to bless them with words of praise 
onto God and what God has done and remind them of what God does and continues to do in the lives of his people. In verse 2, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we have this context starting out from the very beginning. Paul laying this foundation that you are who you are by the will of God and God will continue to bless you with grace and with peace as his people. And so identifying who they are, Paul now wants to help them understand how it is that they are who they are. How did they get to that place where they became saints who are faithful to Christ by the will of God? And this is where Paul goes in Ephesians chapter 1. How is it possible for us to enjoy the blessing of being faithful saints in Christ Jesus, full of grace and peace? That's the question he aims to answer. This is the primary focus, really, of Paul's letter throughout. How do we get where we are in Christ? And then, what is the Lord doing to make us faithful to the things he calls us to? What did God do that we can be right with him? That's the question. He's moving into this major theme of redemption, the way of salvation. And unless we know this, if we don't know how God saves us, but only that he has saved us, we're missing out on a tremendous amount of truth that gives us greater hope and assurance and faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. The more we understand the vital doctrines of Scripture, the more we understand the privilege and the possibilities of our high calling as the people of God. All of us, I think, probably naturally gravitate toward wanting to sort of search the Scriptures and find the things that are are most most practical in terms of application. I want uh, to know how to do what I need to do. So I can be faithful to the Lord. And so it's a lot easier for all of us, instead of giving extended time to thinking about God's plan and purpose of redemption and how he's done that, that instead we might think of, you know, five important ways that being a Christian makes us better husbands and wives and spouses or parents or whatever. Husbands and wives and spouses are the same thing. Um, Now, That is true. Being Christians makes us better spouses and parents. However, I share with you what I believe to be the Apostle Paul's conviction that we first have to have a right understanding of what and how God has done what he has done before we can ever have a right understanding of what it means for us to live our day-to-day lives upon the grace of God. It's interesting that when Paul writes his letters, and you see this in most of his letters, the first part of his letter is all of the theological groundwork that he wants to lay. There's, there's nothing of uh, imperatives, commands that he's given to the church to say, be this, do this, work these things out this way. The first part of all of Paul's letters is deeply theological, And then he gets into the part where he starts to talk about the practical, the application. It's usually marked by him saying, therefore, 
in light of all of these things that you've just heard, in, in Romans, that's 11 chapters of theology. Therefore, now that you have all of that framework, now that you have all of that in your heart and mind, what now shall you do? And he does the same thing here in Ephesians. And I say all that to tell us that Paul is using this first part of the letter to lay out the doctrine that we will find necessary for us to understand how we do the things he calls us to do in the second part of his letter. So what I hope the Lord will do with us as we walk through this is that our hearts will soar to new heights of praise and gratitude and thankfulness that we never thought possible because our primary focus may have just been on application. Not to say the word is not applicable and has certainly tried to apply it to us, but we have to think outside the realm of ourselves for a little bit. And that's really what Paul is getting at here in verse 3. We're thinking now about God, about the work of God, about who God is and what God has done. He understood the vital connection between genuine praise and thankfulness and an understanding of who God is and what God is doing in all of his work. Many, many scholars will say that verse 3 is the main point of the entire letter. So we, we may or may not conclude that as we walk through the letter, but I do think at least it's important to note that this is a vital phrase. This is wonderful. This is rich and powerful, and it shapes how we look at the rest of Paul's letter. Now, I want to be clear that in saying we, we praise God, what we are saying is that we express our thankfulness to God in worship. We're acknowledging God's attributes. We, we are expressing our gratitude for who he is and what he is doing. So praising God is an expression of thankfulness. If we have true praise, it cannot be separated from a thankful heart. True praise to God is filled with thankfulness. Again, for who he is and what he has done. And notice Notice Paul doesn't say here blessings to God or may God be blessed, but he says blessed is God. There is a blessedness about him. This is who he is. He is the most blessed. And no doubt about it, this is Paul expressing his thankfulness for who God is. And, and specifically here he's praising God because of who he is as he says, as God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now you notice something we're going to see throughout the whole letter is that Paul is continually drawing our attention to the work of all three members of the Trinity. Here we see God, the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. And what's implied in all of this, in these spiritual blessings he's going to be talking about, is that all of it is applied to the hearts of the believers by the Holy Spirit. And in these first uh, verses 3 through 14, we'll see this praise to the Father, this praise to the Son, this praise to the Holy Spirit. And we see him bringing out the truth of the Trinity and who God is as we give praise to him for that. And notice what Paul says of Christ. 
the person of Christ, he writes that he is our Lord Jesus Christ. Remember Paul's writing to the church and he's, he's emphasizing the personal relationship that Jesus has with every single believer. He is ours. We are his if we are in Christ Jesus. And notice also that he says he is our Lord. He is ours. We belong to him. But he is our Lord and you know, there's a, there's a popular idea among some people that it is possible to have Jesus be your Savior without him being your Lord. Now, that, there's nothing in the Bible that even kind of hints at such a thing. Jesus is frequently addressed as the Lord Jesus Christ. And to say that Jesus is my Savior and not my Lord is simply a way of trying to receive all of the benefits of salvation without having any of the responsibilities of a Christian. But the Lord himself says, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. And so if Jesus is my Savior, he will also be my Lord. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is the King. And you don't get to tell the King how you're going to live in his kingdom. It's not up to you. And while there are many who do not live according to the statutes of the King... He will not carry on forever without bringing justice within his kingdom. The world continues to wander aimlessly about dismissing the Lord Jesus Christ and his commands because they're mistaking his patience for weakness. But I want to plead with you, friends, if you are without Christ this morning, if you are living your life for yourself and you do not love and trust and obey the Lord Jesus Christ, Today is the day of salvation. The great king of the universe is calling you to repent and believe the gospel so that you will escape his judgment. I mean, if nothing else causes you to praise God, this alone should, that God is the one who created us. God is the one that we have offended by our sin and made enemies with. God is the one who made a way of salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ. God is the one who sent his only son to die in our place that we might live. God is the one who reconciles us back to himself. He made us, we've offended him, we've spit in his face, and yet he still sent his son to die for us and to reconcile us back to himself. He is the one who said while we were yet sinners, he would send his son to die for us. If nothing else, that should cause us to praise God. And, and as Lord, he's not a tyrant. He's full of mercy. He's full of grace. He's full of love and kindness and patience. And this is why the Apostle Paul comes to thinking about who he is and what he's done and says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He is blessed. He is full of blessing. That is who he is and that is what he is pouring out on us. And as the Lord, he is willing and he is able to save 
to the uttermost. He's the greatest of all fathers. He is the closest of all friends. And I and everyone else in this room will fail you from time to time because we continue to live in a world as people with fallen flesh, but God will never fail you. He will never let you down. He will never turn away. And he will always give you hope and faith and trust if you are in him. It's who he is. It's why we praise him as Christians. Christians praise God because of who he is. Well, related to this is our second observation this morning, and that is Christians praise God because of all that he does. God is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we praise him not only for who he is, but also for what he does. The very mention that the Lord Jesus Christ is our Lord Jesus Christ gives us reason to consider what it is that brought us into this blessed state of being. How is it that Jesus Christ is my Lord? We're going to consider this in greater detail next week as we get into verse 4, but, but the greatness that is being emphasized by Paul here is that this is in the, the planning of our salvation, and not just the plan itself, but in what God does to make it happen. I think so often we're, we're concerned about ourselves, we, we fail to contemplate how it is that God has made salvation what it is. How has God worked out his plan? How has he put it into operation? It's all a work of God, and we'll see that in the weeks ahead, but we, we, we have to spend time considering the fact that God is the one who does it all, and he does it in our hearts for his glory, that we will see him as blessed and praise him as the one who is blessed. You know, the Christian life is experiential. The, the Puritans wrote about this a lot. They called it experimental divinity. Because we have, if we are in Christ, we have a real experience with the truth of God's word as it's at work in our hearts. And in that experience, we are, we are brought to praise God for the truth that is unveiled by his word. And part of that truth, a big part of that truth, is understanding what God has done and is doing in the salvation of his people. As a pastor, something I take very seriously and I try to be very thoughtful of when I'm preaching or when I give counsel to people is that one of my most important priorities is to prepare the people of God to suffer and to die well. That may sound morbid to you, but as a church, we have encountered suffering in the lives of some of our dear brothers and sisters. We have encountered death. Now, if I'm, I'm sitting with you during the final hours of your life, it doesn't do a whole lot for either of us if all I have to say is, Jesus loves you. Now, that is a profound truth. Don't get me wrong. But I want to offer you more. I want to offer you so much more than that. Because do you know when the evil one is at work the hardest to bring us to a place where we have doubt and a lack of assurance in our hearts? 
He doesn't give up because we're on our deathbeds. He comes even harder. He's more fierce. And it's, it's far more rewarding for us that we can sit together and rejoice in the truth of who God is and what he has done and be reminded that we are secure in our salvation and that we will pass from this life into the next instantly because of what God has done in Christ Jesus. That is far more rewarding and far more hope-filled than to just sit and say back and forth to one another, well, Jesus loves me, I hope this works out. We will get through the grave not as those who are timid and fearful and downcast and lacking in assurance if we have hope in the knowledge of what God has done for us in Christ Jesus. If I know what the Lord has done and I can be reminded daily of what the Lord has done and how he has done it, I have a firm, solid, rock-hard foundation to stand upon in my weakest moments, in the weakest hours of life. And so as you lay there and contemplate the most prominent sins in your life, as you consider the most heinous acts of selfishness and God belittling in your life, you can be reminded that God has made you to be his own. And it's not dependent upon you, but it is fully and completely dependent upon Christ because God is the worker of your salvation, not you. Do you see, brothers and sisters, how valuable it is that we would spend time to think of these vital truths of who God is and what God is doing? Let's not pull back from knowing more of God. We can praise him day by day when we are armed with more truth of his word. We can also be all the more prepared to stand against the evil one who will come against us at every hour. My salvation, your salvation was planned before the world was created and that should cause all of us to stand on our tiptoes and shout praises to God. The father planned it out. The son executed all that was necessary to make it happen by living a law-fulfilling life, dying a sinner's death, being raised from the dead. And now the Holy Spirit applies that into our lives day by day as sinners hear the gospel and turn from themselves and repent and believe. It's all a work of God. And knowing that makes our praise unto God all the more fulfilling all the more meaningful and purposeful because we know that we are praising God, not just because of some cliches that we hear and know, but because of the truth of who he is and has revealed himself to be. He is worthy of praise for who he is. He is worthy of praise for what he has done. And we'll look more extensively at that next week. It brings us to our third observation this morning, and that is that Christians praise God because of what we possess in Christ. Paul writes that God has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. So we've seen who God is. We've considered what God has accomplished in sending his son, Jesus Christ, to die in our place. So we need to consider what we possess as Christians because we are in Christ. And it's what Paul refers to as every spiritual blessing. 
The apostle James reminds us, every good thing bestowed and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. It is the assurance that the apostle Paul reminds us of in in Romans chapter 8, in verse 28, that God causes all things to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purposes. What are all those things he's working together? Every spiritual blessing. Now, I want us to notice that Paul began not with, uh, not with us and our blessings, but with God. He's rightly acknowledged God and the place that God plays in all of this. And he, he not, notice also he's, he's dealing with spiritual blessings. Now, no doubt, everything we have is a blessing from God. All of our possessions... Even all of our trials and tribulations, they're blessings from God because he's using those to conform us all the more into the image of his dear son. But Paul here is dealing specifically with spiritual blessings. Now, all kinds of people in all kinds of ways are blessed by God whether they acknowledge it or not. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talks about this. That God has common grace that he shows to all mankind. One, a Christian farmer's land doesn't prosper and grow better than the non-Christian farmer's land. The Lord is plentiful in offering his blessing to both equally by giving the sun and the rain and all that is necessary for that. That is common grace, but that's not the kind of blessing that Paul's talking about here. He's talking about spiritual blessings that are only given to the believer in Jesus Christ. We are given a new nature, and with that nature, we are in Christ and able to draw everything we need from Christ. I hope you you see that in what Paul is saying here. So what are those spiritual blessings? They are many. Forgiveness of sins, reconciliation with God, the ability to come to God in prayer, knowing he will answer us according to his will. We are predestined. We are adopted. We are are in fellowship with God. We are being sanctified day by day to look more like Jesus Christ, made able to withstand the temptations of the world and the flesh and the devil We are given a new nature in Jesus Christ, so we no longer are obligated to sin in our lives. All of these and many more are the spiritual blessings. And God has blessed us in Christ with all of these blessings. In other words, we are part of Christ. And we are so bound to him by an organic, mystical union that whatever is true of him is true of us spiritually. I hope that blows your mind a little bit. Everything that is true of the Lord Jesus Christ is true of you as a believer in Jesus Christ, as the Father looks upon you since you are in him. Whatever he sees is what he sees in Jesus Christ. That speaks to our union with Christ. And Paul will deal with this several times, 12 different ways in these verses ahead in the next few weeks. It's vitally important to Paul that he keeps pressing in on this issue of our union with Christ. You are united to Christ. So what does that mean? It means that we derive all that we need and all that we are from him. 
You cannot be a Christian without being in Christ. I don't know why you would want to be. When you become a Christian in a moment, when you are justified, you are united to him and will forever be. That cannot be taken away. You are united to the one who is the beginning and the end, the alpha and the omega, and there is no blessing for Christians apart from him. And you are in him and will forever be. Notice also that Paul emphasizes that this is in Christ alone. He doesn't have an assistant. Peter said in Acts 4.12, there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. The Lord Jesus Christ doesn't need an assistant. His mother was helpful. Don't pray to her. She's not helpful to us anymore. She brought the Lord Jesus Christ into the world by the Holy Spirit. She gave birth as a virgin. Praise God, we are thankful for Mary. Don't you dare pray to Mary. She is not your Savior and she will not bring you to the Savior. The veil has been torn, and you and I have direct access to the Lord Jesus Christ. Why would you pray to anyone else? The King of glory has made himself available to you and I because we are in him. And if we are in him, we don't need anyone else. The one who spoke all of creation into existence says, come unto me. Pray to me. Derive all of your hope and peace and strength and assurance from me. And the minute you add yourself or someone else to the work of Christ, you are detracting from him. Brothers and sisters, you and I, if we are in Christ, we are united to the one who is the Son of God who was raised from the dead and is seated at the right hand of the Father in the heavenly realms far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every title that can be given, not only in this present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all of these things under his feet and he appointed him to be the head over everything for the church, which is the body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. We are united to the one who is blessed above all others, the one who is risen from the grave with power over sin and death. He is the head of all things. And in the precious church and in this dark world, all of them are still filled with him. And we are united to him. We are united by the marvelous grace of God in Jesus Christ. Well, let's consider our last implication this morning. Christians praise God because our spiritual blessings are in the heavenly places. Paul ends this verse. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Because we are united to him, just as Christ is in the heavenly places, so we too are in the heavenly places. 
because all of the spiritual blessings flow from Christ who is there. Now, I want you to recognize this. In the Old Testament, how are the blessings of God often spoken of? Or how is God, I should say, how is God spoken of? He's spoken of as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And the focus is mainly on, on temporal, earthly, material blessings of food and land and all these sorts of things. But when we get into the New Testament, we see what we see here in verse 3. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ in the heavenly places. So you see, the, the emphasis is no longer on the material and the temporal. It is on the spiritual. It is on the eternal the Christian faith is otherworldly. The, em- the emphasis is not on the here and now. That's why we're called pilgrims and strangers in this land. That doesn't mean we don't have a role as active, vital citizens in this world. We have a dual citizenship. We should be the best citizens on earth. However, when we are looking for what is lasting and where we find our joy and peace and hope, it ought to be found in the heavenly places, in the things that cannot be touched, in the things that cannot be held. We don't have to wait, though, until we're in heaven to enjoy those spiritual blessings. Augustus, top lady, once wrote, More happy, but not more secure, the glorified spirits in heaven. In other words, those departed saints, our brothers and sisters who are in heaven, are no more in Christ than you and I are right now. And while they have a fuller enjoyment of all that he provides, we too can experience and take hold of all of those blessings as well. Paul is reminding us that the blessings of Christ not only involve being in union with him, but through that union, being in heaven with him. Not just after we die, but here and now. I have eternal life. If you are in Christ, you have eternal life now. When you die, you just fall asleep and you wake up in the other land where you have a citizenship where you will dwell forever. It's your final move. So does what Paul writes mean that God is in the heavenly realms blessing us down here? Yes, but it means more than that. Later, he's going to remind us with the same kinds of words that God raised Jesus from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms. Jesus is in the heavenly realms. Believers are united to him. So where are we? It's clear. We are blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. And this is what Paul says in the following chapter, in chapter 2, in verse 6. God raised, past tense, he raised us up with Christ and seated, past tense, us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. We were seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. And because we are a union with Christ who is in heaven, then in a spiritual sense, we too are in heaven with Christ. And so our hearts and our minds and everything is drawn toward the heavenly realms 
Because all of the great blessings of Christ are spiritual blessings that bring us to him, that we might know him and love him and enjoy him more and more day by day. In our union with Christ, we are already partakers of this great spiritual reality, even though it's not fully realized until we are in our glorified state. That means we are already experiencing aspects of heaven, although we are not there yet. And do you know the greatest of those blessings for us is experienced when we gather together as the church? Why has the Lord set aside a day every week for his people to gather and worship and fellowship and focus on him? That we can have a foretaste of all that is yet to come that we have a foretaste of what it means to spend our lives worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ forever and ever. You ever hear the word of God or you, you finish singing a song or you're, you're just brought to a place in prayer where you say, that was a taste of heaven. That's because it was. You think of Jesus as he went to the top of the Mount of Transfiguration and Peter was there and he said, this, this is what I want. Let's build tents here and stay here forever. I hope as we gather as God's people, you have a sense of that want to stay together with the people of God because we're getting a foretaste of the transfigured Christ, of Christ who is our all in all. We're meeting with him. We're seeing him. We're delighting in him. And we don't want to go back down off the mountain into the valley of darkness and the shadow of death. But we must. But we must. Because it's far greater that we would die and be with Christ and yet he calls us to live as Christ, knowing that death will eventually be our great gain. Our great spiritual blessings in the heavenly realms are what gives us peace, are what gives us joy, are what gives us love for God and love for our neighbor, and are what gives us hope. Brothers and sisters, I hope, I pray, our hearts will agree with the Apostle Paul this morning. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. It is in him, it is by him, it is through him alone that we have peace and joy and love and hope everlasting. We, above all others, have much to be thankful for. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we give you thanks for your word. We give you thanks for who you are. We praise you for what you have done and are doing. We give you thanks for who we are in Christ and what we have in Christ because we are united to him. And I pray, God, you would fill us with a sense of awe that the spiritual blessings we have are in the heavenly places. That eternal life is something we experience here and now in this life as we look forward to the next. Would you help us, God, to continue to be mindful of these things as you prepare us to make our way through the grave that we might dwell with you forever. 
that you would strengthen our hearts and our resolve in the gospel, that you would make us all the more faithful, that you would remind us that this life is but a vapor and only what we do for Christ in this world will last. Make us to be more heavenly minded that we might be of some earthly good. And may it all be to your glory. And may it all be for the good of your church. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.